in the edit, I'm going to add a pause under this. So like, or if y'all want to applaud while I do this, that's fine. Just do it off mic. Nope. Don't want to do that. Thank you for coming. We're very excited to have all of you in Chicago today. We have literally two things to announce. So sit back (laughs) and enjoy the show. Yeah, Chicago man, it's uh, the the weather, the weather, uh, it's um uh, it's rainy, it's rainy today. That's too bad. And the pizza, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody in Chicago in in Chicago in March, it's a tradition to eat um pizza every single day of the week. Um everybody from Chicago knows that. So, um we've been eating pizza. We are here in Chicago, right? In in the center of the city, a very famous place, and we are eating pizza. But that's what we're doing and recording a podcast. We're just so inspired by everything. We're excited about everything. As long as you have $299 to spend mm-hmm. per student. <sighs> well, this is going to be fun. Can we do some follow-up before we get to that? We should. But first, we should thank our sponsors for this episode, Squarespace, Smile, and Audible. And we should introduce mm-hmm. ourselves. I'm not Tim Cook. I know I sort of sound like Tim Cook, but I'm not. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by my European co-host I have on... One side of me, Michael Hurley. Mike, how are you? I'm very good. It's a good side. And on the other side, I have Federico Vitici. Yeah. Uh, stop touching me, man. We're in Chicago, and it's kind of awkward. You don't need to put your hand <laughs> on my shoulder when you do the intro. It's kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah. Hi. How are you? Why would I ask you how are you if we're together? There's I'm no good. Point. I'm good. You already know. Yeah. I'm fine. I just introduced a new iPad. I feel great. So, WBC lottery has happened. Yes. Uh, Federico, did you get in? I did. And that completes the trilogy, Yay! which I decided now it was going to be a trilogy, uh, you know, since the beginning. I retroactively decided that my tickets are a trilogy. So, the trilogy is complete. And now, mm-hmm. um, I suppose there must be some kind of Star Wars joke here. But having only seen one Star Wars movie... Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm, I can make that joke. But yes, I got in. I'm very excited. I want to go. I'm happy to be, to, to be going to, the, in San Jose, to San Jose again. I had a great time last year, and I want to meet all the developers. I want to try all the new APIs. I want to talk to people. So I'm really, I'm really excited. Mike and I did not get in, but we did not uh, enter. So it's not a huge loss, I guess. If you purchased Space Gray... Magic Keyboard or Magic Trackpad when the iMac Pro came out. Remember, these were on eBay for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. If you had just waited, you can now get them for $149 a piece directly from Apple. Now, that is $20 more than the silver, you know, boring models. You pay 20 bucks for that Space Gray. But, uh, But they're available. Does this interest you, Mike? Are you interested in getting a Space Gray Magic Trackpad or Magic Mouse or Keyboard? I th- I thought about it until I saw the prices and like I don't I don't particularly care that it's $149 but I do when I'm just thinking about buying it for the fun of it right like if I'm if I need a magic trackpad then I may pay the extra $20 to get the space gray one cuz it looks cool but I don't need to buy one so I'm not going to buy one right you know what I mean? Like I don't. This is. I just don't need it. I don't. I don't need to pay one hundred and forty nine dollars for a space gray magic trackpad. But it does look good. It it does look good. I got mine uh, 
out of the box because I use the 10 keyless version without the number pad. So the number pad puts the mouse too far out of the side for me where it's uncomfortable. Uh, and I got it out yesterday. Like it looks really good. I just can't use it. So it's, it's in the box. So I'm using my regular magic track pad and my regular magic keyboard and, uh, and a mouse. So things are, things are good here, but they're available. I know some people were excited about this. The mouse is 99 bucks as opposed to 79 for the silver. So again, you just have that $20 tax to get the, uh, to get the the darker color. People had a lot of thoughts in my Twitter about the price bump for <laughs> the darker well, because yeah. uh, you know um, Mike informed me yesterday as as I was busy trying. Uh, what did you text me, Mike? Like uh, congrats on the uh, MKBHD retweet sent. Yeah, MKBHD retweeted your tweet about the, the, the keyboard being available. So yes. then you were subjected to like 3 million people. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure it was a bit of a dumpster fire in the old mentions yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to go back and look. But at one point, I was like, you know, this is just too much. And there's so many... So many bad people, honestly, like saying really ugly, offensive things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's unfortunate. Because, you know, he, he, there there would be people that kind of scale that kind of like just just follow him yes. to complain about yes. literally everything that he'll say, right? Like that, that that's just kind of what they're waiting to do. They're just waiting. Um, and then the problem is people don't, people don't care, right, who they're responding to. Right. They just press the reply button yeah. and just send it. You know, so but yeah, look at that: five hundred and forty-nine retweets, five point six thousand uh, favorites. Yeah, that's that, on that's Marquez's incredible. Thing. So you just got like bombarded. <laughs> just insane. But there's uh, not just space gray. There's also color. There's also color poured all over our devices. There are pink and blue. What is that thing called? The leather fo- No, the leather case for the the iPad Pro. What is that called? The leather leather sleeve for the iPad Pro. The leather sleeve. It's like a nice blue and pink color, and there are new leather and silicone cases, as well as the Apple Watch bands that we spoke about. Was it last week? I yeah. think. Which I, I bought two of them, by the way. What one? Which the cases or the bands? The the bands. They're coming tomorrow. I just got a notification. Uh, okay. I got the the Nike, the, the the black and white one. What's the name? Black and platinum band or something? The Spilt Loop one. No, I got the Nike Sport, the black and one. And the Nike Sport Loop, the uh-huh. black and red, uh, red and crimson, I think it's called, um, which is my first Sport Loop, uh, which I'm really, really curious to try. I like the Sport Loops. I, I haven't got any of these ones yet because um, I, w- I want to. S- I, I tend these days to like to just go to a store and look at the colors um, and just see how they look because so many times. Like they never look exactly right, you know. Like sometimes better or sometimes worse on the store than they do kind of when you're looking at them. Uh, but I'll expect I'll buy one. Like I really, really like the Sport Loops, um, so you know I wouldn't mind another one. And the color options, the red one looks kind of cool. I want to see what that looks like. The red and black one that looks kind of cool. I like it. But yeah, there's there's also they've matched some of those colors and got some new colors. Uh, there's an orange leather case which I like the look of, but I, I think I like the silicone ones too much. I didn't buy anything. Sorry. No, I didn't expect that you would bring have, it, honestly. Bring it down. Bring it down. All right. Before we move on, we do have uh, a reminder that we will be at WBC doing a live show uh, the evening of Wednesday, June 6th. 6th. And there are tickets still available. They're, they are going quickly. 
So if you're listening to this, I would not wait. Just five bucks. It goes to a good good cause to support AltConf that does really great work in our community. Uh, so go check that out. And um, uh, if we're not enough for you, there's also ATP on Monday night. We're kind of doing a podcast festival together. So you can see uh, those guys on Monday and then come back and see us on Wednesday. So uh, that link is in the show notes. And like I said, I would not wait. They are They're going quick. All right, today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Use the offer code WORLD at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace because they have all of the tools that you need to put your next project online. I'm sure that, you know, if you're thinking about starting a website, there's a few things you're going to need to be able to get for yourself. You're going to want to be able to grab a website that is easily customizable with beautiful themes and templates. Squarespace have that. You need to grab a unique domain name. Squarespace can give you that too. What about 24-7 customer support in case you get stuck of anything. Squarespace have all of it. They are an all-in-one platform that will let you put any type of website online. They have functionality for blogs, functionality for stores, portfolios, businesses, bands, the whole shebang, everything. It is the all-in-one platform that you need. There's nothing to install or patch or upgrade. Squarespace have got you covered with all of it. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but you can sign up for a free trial today by going to squarespace.com. And that, in that trial, you can play around, you can build the entire website, and then when you're ready to launch it to the world, you just sign up for one of their plans, and you can use the code WORLD, uh, you use the offer code WORLD, W-O-R-L-D, at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase, and show your support for Connected and Relay FM. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So uh, the March event, the March education event, it has it has come and gone. Um, both me and Stephen have recorded uh, other shows going into, I think, more detailed analysis. So you can check out uh, Query episode 27 and Upgrade episode 186 because both Serenity and uh, Jason were at the event. So that's good to kind of get the opinions of people that were there and, and have got that kind of information. But we wanted to kind of take some time to look at some larger themes and larger questions that have arisen because of the event. Um, you know, Stephen joked at the beginning about having two things to announce because really, you know, the event was a couple of announcements. And then because we have everybody's eyes on this, let's talk about some of the other things in education that we do. Some stuff that has been around for literally years at this point, like the multi-person, uh, like what is it called, where you, multiple people can sign into an Share, iPad? Shared iPad? Yeah, which yeah. has been around since 9, 9.3. So, like, you know, some of this stuff has been around for some time, but it it was used as part to tell uh, a larger story about, about education. And there are a few different things. I think we all kind of have our pet questions and our pet thoughts about this. Uh, why don't we start talking about the, the iPad, the star of the show, the thing that they announced, the, the, the new bottom-of-the-line 9.7-inch iPad, um, which has upgrades in a bunch of different areas from the original ipad including an apple pencil support i think you know when i was initially seeing it i was like oh this is like a pro but it's not like a pro um it is it is way closer to the original ipad than the pro um Stephen, we spent a bunch of time last week talking about the mythical epad that, that you mm-hmm. had dreamed up the education uh, ipad is that this uh no i don't i don't think it is I think the idea behind behind that mythical, like that whole thought experiment was what if Apple changed direction from their consumer product and made something just for education? And uh, as Federico is going to talk about in a second, this is a device that still very much exists in two worlds. 
consumer and education. So it, you know, it doesn't change anything with the form factor to make it more rugged. It doesn't include a pencil, let alone a way to store the pencil. Does it come with some sort of integrated keyboard uh, options? It's no cheaper than it was before. So I think this is Apple continuing the course of we're going to have one device that we think satisfies the needs of schools and the needs of sort of like the broad consumer market who, you know, people who aren't interested in an iPad pro. So I don't think that's a change in direction at all, really. I don't think it's a, it should be considered an iPad pro. Uh, but at the same time, I also, I also think it, um, it allows Apple to move the iPad pro line even further because you could argue that the Apple pencil uh, is possibly the most interesting feature from a consumer standpoint of the former iPad Pro line uh, and being exclusive to the iPad Pro prevented many users from enjoying the benefits of the Apple Pencil. And I think of all the features that the that this iPad does not offer, such as a promotion uh, for the higher display refresh rate and True Tone and more RAM and the A10X variation of the A10 chip, or this well, even just niceties like the laminated display, exactly. right? Like, which is just a nice thing to have. Of all, but it doesn't have that. Of all these features, I, I think that the Apple Pencil is the most interesting one for the general public, for folks who want to use an iPad but don't want to work or be pro users with an iPad. And so, while it, it is not um, an iPad Pro for education or basically an iPad Pro, I think it's a good decision to expand uh, what the pencil is, what the pencil can do by bringing it further down the line and unlocking these new education yep. use cases and just letting more people, not even people in uh, users in schools, but just the general public that goes to apple.com and wants to buy an iPad for $300. And now you can get one that also supports the Apple Pencil. I think that's a good decision. I'm in agreement with you. I think that um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people take notes in with pen and paper in their jobs, right, in their meetings and, and that kind of stuff. And I think that whether it would be a better experience for people or not, I think it's something that people want, right? Like they see an iPad of an, with an Apple Pencil and can imagine themselves just taking their notes on a device and not having to carry around pen and paper anymore, Right, like I can see that as a thing that people would would want, even if it would be good for them or not. You know what I mean, right? Like, you some a lot of people I think would try that and would prefer to go back to pen and paper because it's not perfect, right? Like there there are, you have to get a good app for it. Or I think a lot of people imagine that like, oh, all I need to do is just handwrite it and then I'll have text. You know, like I I think that there is a lot, and you can get part of the way of a lot of those things but it's not like as good as it could be in the future mm. but i think that it is one of those things where people see it and they're like oh i would like a digital notepad instead of, instead of having to carry around this notepad and losing my pen all the time so i think that there is a i agree with you federico i think it is more it is more interesting i believe to the general public than a smart keyboard even though honestly a smart keyboard is actually more useful but yeah. if you're trying to use the ipad more seriously but you won't know that until you try it. So, but but as a marketing tool to sell iPads, the Apple Pencil is the perfect fit yeah. for that to serve that purpose. You know, for someone like me, I don't use my pencil very much at all. But like, I bought one, and like, even watching this event, I watched the video this morning. I like 
felt inspired. Like, yeah, I should draw. Like, I should take yeah. notes on it. Like, you know, you want to use it because it's fun. And I think they did a really good job of tapping into that in the event. And, you know, I don't know how many of these things are going to sell to schools, but I think that schools that do decide to spend the $89 uh, for a pencil, you know, that's the education price, I think it will make a difference. I think that kids will um, will be able to do things with it that are exciting and new. And uh, so, yeah, I think if you're going to bring one quote-unquote pro feature down to the the consumer ipad this is this was the one to do so let's look at the next big question was this ipad and everything shown on stage a proper response to google Mm. i think it is widely considered that apple have decided to to focus refocus on education again uh, publicly and internally because of how much of the market share google is grabbing with chromebooks and chrome os was this a proper response to that I feel like the uh, Apple's argument boils down to um, maybe three factors. Um, The App Store ecosystem, Apple design, and privacy. I feel like those were the three themes that they tried to push forward as the value that you get by going iPad instead of, I think they said, other web-based solutions or something like that. But they really insisted on the idea of you're using uh, real apps, you're using native apps, you're using full iPad experiences that uh, take advantage of the retina display, multi-touch and the pencil and all of that. And you can go to the App Store and now we have this API that developers can use to uh, integrate classroom and schoolroom, schoolwork, whatever it's called, into, you know, with ClassKit into third-party apps, which of course is something that uh, can be done because of the the App Store and the way that iOS works. My question would be, if this is what Apple thinks, that their advantage is the iPad design, so hardware and software, and the App Store ecosystem and the privacy uh, approach that they take, is this argument valuable enough for schools that are tight in terms of budget or that just prefer a web-based solution because maybe it's easier to manage. I want to understand whether these three advantages that Apple uh, claims they have are actual advantages from the perspective of uh, institutions and educators. I mean, there are advantages if you have the money, right? Like all of those things are really nice. But you have to have the money. And, and I think that, of course, there are school and education institutions that can afford this stuff. We know it exists. We have, you know, first-hand knowledge or second-hand knowledge when you look at someone like Fraser Spears, right? Like, he works for a school that can afford to do this stuff, that can afford to have an iPad per student. But there are many, many, many schools, I was talking about some upgrade, including the one that I went to, that could not and would not be able to afford to do this. You know, I went to a very big school. There was nearly 2,000 pupils at my school. There is no way. There's just absolutely no way that that school would have, one, been able to afford it, or two, prioritized this over other things. Uh. Like, And I know that there are places that can do it, and Apple can serve those if they want to, but they're not changing the entire world with this current suite of products, and I think we all need to accept that. I, um, Of course, I, I finished high school um, 11 years ago at this point, but... I strongly doubt that my high school uh, would be able to ever afford this kind of solution. I mean, I went to a public uh, public school with, uh, I guess, about a thousand students, and sometimes, like, uh, the, the budget was always tight, and sometimes the, the the desks or the chairs were broken, 
and needed to be replaced. Mm-hmm. And there were other issues uh, besides, you know, getting the fancy computer or now getting the fancy tablet with the stylus. I think our, uh, you know, the current situation in Italy, and of course it's different in other countries, it's, it's different in the UK and in the United States, but our um, budget for getting uh, school, elementary schools and high schools into um, premium-priced uh, pieces of technology, I, I, I don't think it's there. I don't th- it's just not there. I cannot imagine not even a one-to-one program because that is just unthinkable to to ask a school to spend uh, 350 euros per student to get a, an iPad and a pencil and maybe a keyboard. So that would be around 400 euros, um, but not even 10 iPads per classroom. I think that would be that would be difficult for my high school to to achieve. And so I it feels to me, I'm even looking at the event itself. So the 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 setup. So this lane tech school, which in theory is public, but um John Voorhees is from Chicago, he knows the school very well. He told me it's a quote unquote public school. You need to apply. To this school and yep. and he believes that parents of course make big donations to the school and all of that so it looks like a private school it looks like a very high-end um semi-public institution that has the funds to you know buy a lot of mac computers and have fancy beautiful looking classrooms and all of that my school it need needs the walls to be repainted to give you some context. And I think it's it's the same situation is true in other parts of Italy, in other parts of Europe, and in other parts of, you know, the entire world. So it's great that, that some schools, some high-end schools can afford the iPad, especially the private ones, and especially the public ones that use this mixed system of uh, you still need to apply and a lot of parents make donations. I think it's great. But it's not, I struggle to to say well of course Apple is now changing the world of education they are changing parts of education part of it somewhere yeah. but it's not a I think the blanket statement of saying Apple is changing education is not is not true. What do you think on that, Stephen? Uh, I I totally agree. You know I had access to technology in high school solely because I was on like the student newspaper. You know. Everyone else I went to school with didn't like there was a Mac or two in every classroom. You know, the teacher had one they did all their stuff on and there was maybe one for students to use. And, you know, my high school didn't really have like a computer lab, even really like it was always tied in with something else, like with typing or, or, you know, again, like the newspaper or the yearbook. And granted, that was a long time ago, but I think that a lot of schools are still there, you know, after you know, for a while I worked as a consultant in K through 12 for like on behalf of Apple, we'd go into schools and like do these deployments. Like we would deploy, you know, uh, like a MacBook one-to-one or we would put a bunch of iMacs in libraries and classrooms and stuff. And you know, that's been 10 years now, but even then the schools that we were going into were more affluent and it was, it was pretty obvious. And that, that gap still exists today that there are a lot of students that don't have access to iPads in the classroom, uh, but also don't have access to like Chromebooks or anything even less expensive because the, the bar is still too high, unfortunately, for for too many school districts and too many schools and too many classrooms. Apple didn't do anything to address that with this. I was really hoping that they'd announce it all and they said, hey, it's 329 you know, for consumers and for schools, you know, if you buy 10 or something or more, you know, it's 249 or, you know, less than 
where they were able to put it. And uh, I guess, you know, on the flip side of that, the other side of the argument as well, it's the same cost as it was, but it's a much better product. Well, it is a much better product if you spend the other $89 for a pencil and you get a keyboard. Like, it's still an expensive product. I think what Apple did here, I think the like the big picture of like Apple versus Chromebooks, I think what Apple's doing is saying the price is what it is. And if you can't meet that, you know, then we're sorry, but you can't meet it. But if you can, if the iPad is a, is a viable option for you financially, uh, they want the iPad to set apart from Chromebooks based on what a student can do with it. And they mentioned Chromebooks. They mentioned a web, you know, web-based apps, which is a shot at Chrome OS. And I think they built the case. I think they did a pretty successful job of it with things like um, the Everyone Can Create curriculum. Of If you want your students to be working in multimedia with video and music and you want them to be annotating things and, and dealing with custom textbooks, and the iPad is the only way to go. That they are, instead of getting in the mud with, on pricing, they're saying we are going to be more expensive, but for that you get a device with really great battery life that's, you know, students are really comfortable using touch devices and they can use it to create all of this stuff. And you can't do that with a Chromebook and you can't even really do it with a Mac. I mean, there's stuff that like clips got a ton of stage time and like teachers actually seem like really excited about clips. which really surprised me that it seems to have taken off, at least in some classrooms. But I can totally see why, because it's like a fun, easy way to do video. Yeah, it's like I never would have expected it, but as soon as I see it, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see how that makes sense. Totally. And so, yeah, you can edit in GarageBand and iMovie and stuff on a MacBook, but an iPad makes it more fun and like easier to deal with, and you don't have to deal with file stuff, right, because it's all just in iCloud. And so I think that's where they're going with this. I think Apple wants to change the argument from pricing first, which is hard because that is the truth of this market is that pricing is a huge factor. But I think what they're saying is if you can't afford us, uh, then this is what you get for that additional cost. And if, I don't know if that argument is going to work or not, but I do think that they, they close the loop on that argument really well in this keynote. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, so also Logitech got a lot of time again. So, you know, if you cast your mind back to the original uh, iPad Pro introduction, it was announced that when that product came about that Logitech had made a keyboard case, right? That they were on stage. Obviously, Logitech had a relationship with Apple that they got to see this stuff first. And it's happened again because there are two products. Um, there is a new version of the rugged combo case, uh, which is funnily enough, like it's like a, it's like basically Logitech built their own case with a smart connector on it <laughs> yeah. for a keyboard, uh, which is kind of hilarious that they did that considering this device doesn't have one. Um, but the real thing that is more interesting is the Logitech Crayon, mm. which is a cheaper and differing in function version of the Apple Pencil. Um, yeah. Federico, what do you think of the the Logitech uh, crayon and also kind of a, a wider level, the way that Logitech and Apple mm. seem to be working together on this stuff, basically to create the stuff that Apple doesn't want to make, it seems? Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly my point. I think it's fascinating that Apple is ceding control to Logitech to make these accessories that arguably Apple used to make, uh, you know, keyboard cases, uh, different types of accessories for the same device but now it's it appears to be logitech's job to come in and say okay what is what it is that you guys are not doing we'll take care of it and i think it's a 
I, I'm not sure if I like it because on one hand, I'm all for third-party uh, companies being able to, manuf- to manufacture accessories for, you know, to give me more choice. But on the other, I'm still waiting for an Apple backlit keyboard you know, for the iPad Pro that is not made by Logitech. So mm-hmm. there's pros and cons there. And the Crayon, I think it's uh, it's super interesting to me. So essentially, this uses the same technology inside the pencil. So uh, the same framework that works with the digitizer in the iPad's display to detect uh, touches, to make uh, guesses, you know, for the predictive touch API, to so wh- where to basically guess where the line is going to be drawn. Um, it uses the same system, the same framework, and it, of course it works with all the apps that currently support the Apple Pencil. But they needed to make some concessions to make this happen. So uh, it does not support uh, pressure sensitivity. It only supports uh, tilt, so you can you can draw at an angle, and the thickness of the line will change. Um, and from the from a design perspective, uh, and also it does not use Bluetooth, but it uses some kind of single frequency pairing uh, that does not force you to do the uh, the the manual pairing with Bluetooth. But it's also not like the pencil that you can plug into the lightning port and it's connected, you need to press a button on the crayon and, uh, and, and a green LED flashes and then you wait a couple of seconds and it's paired. Although we don't have any details as to... It, does, it, like, it, it doesn't make sense how this works right now, yeah. <laughs> um, except for if you Magic. consider Magic. that considering it only works with this iPad, yeah. that there is something in this iPad that it's connecting to. Yeah, but uh, I saw someone, I think it was Fraser on Twitter, say, how is this going to work in terms of proximity? So if I have uh, 20 iPads in a classroom and all the crayons look the same, how do I know which one is paired with which iPad if, there, if I cannot plug it into the iPad itself? Yeah, but I guess it doesn't matter if it's super quick to repair it. I guess. So, like, if you touch it down and it doesn't work, you just press the button and it works. Or, or Logitech make, makes lots of accessories. You know when you go to the bank and the pin is, like, on a little <laughs> ball chain that's, like, attached to the <laughs> counter? They just do that with with this. It's, like, just, like, a little chain. You just stick it into the lightning port and then you chain it up on the other end. Perfect. Um, this is a very interesting product because it's doing a bunch of things very differently. Um, like, it's made of aluminium and it's not round, which I think is really great. Um, it has some rubber sections to it. What do you think about the design itself? I think it looks exactly as I would assume an Apple Pencil for kids to look. Hmm. Right? Like, it is simple. It is blocky. It is brightly colored in places. It looks nice and comfortable to hold. Um, you know, I think it's fine. If this was the Apple Pencil, I would have been disappointed. Um, but as a third-party product, I think it, I think it's fantastic. Does that make sense? Yeah. If this was the product that Apple gave me, I would be a bit like, really? Mm. <laughs> Is this the best you could do? Because it does look, it looks childlike. It looks like a, 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 a device for kids in a way. So I think it's perfectly fitting the bill. Um, I think it has some interesting features. I think that the very quick pairing is kind of cool. Um, a lot of people are super excited about the fact that it doesn't have an Apple, it doesn't have a lightning port built into it because apparently that's horrific design. Let me just let me just rephrase stuff that's something I've said a million times. 
if you use the Apple Pencil, the very best thing the Apple Pencil has is the fact that the lightning port is built into it. So no matter where you are, you can always plug it into yes. the iPad you're using to get power. Yeah. I know it looks awkward. I know it looks weird and ah, Johnny Ive, but that was genius design. Mm. If you would, because you build it like this, when this thing runs out of battery, somebody has to go plug it in somewhere. You have to go find the charger. And it is way easier to be able to just plug it into the device that has infinitely more power on it and just charge it for 30 seconds and then yep. just use it again. Right? It works way better that way. I know it looks awkward. I know it looks weird. And if you don't use the Apple Pencil on a frequent basis, then this isn't a thing that you come across. But if you do use the Apple Pencil on a frequent basis, then you're happy for the fact that it can be charged immediately. Mm. Um, yeah. But this yeah. product doesn't have that, which I assume is a cost-cutting saving thing. And I've seen a few people mention about this, right? Like in schools, devices are plugged in at the end of the day, and this has an eight-hour battery life. Like, So it's not necessarily going to be a problem. Um, but I think this is really interesting. I think this is clearly... Clearly, Logitech get given the contracts to build the products that Apple yeah. want, but don't, yeah. but don't, can't make for many reasons. With the main one being that the one that they would make is twice the price, and they and they know they can't do and that. The Johnny doesn't want to design it. <laughs> yeah, like they don't want to design it. They don't want to manufacture it, and they might as well have somebody else do it. And and I I understand that right because all these Logitech products are never going to sell in the volumes that Apple sell, and they don't look particularly nice and or they have functionality that's kind of janky and weird but is needed in some instances so why not give it to a third party to build rather than building it yourself and charging too much for it it's interesting though that these arguments can be made only for some small niches uh, like pro users well apple is gonna let logitech make a smart keyboard uh, alternatives or education yeah. well apple is gonna let logitech make a crayon but the same argument cannot be applied to uh products with with a wider appeal for example apple is not letting logitech make a w1 chip powered headphones uh because airpods are just so damn popular and apple wants to control all of that pie essentially so when it comes to these small mm. categories sure logitech can come on board and make a make a third-party version but only logitech for some reason which almost i mean the, the smart connector uh could be easily re renamed the, the logitech <laughs> connector at this point the, lo the logic connector <laughs> the logic connector um because well, they are called logi as well they, uh, they are in your, outside of the u.s the company is actually called logi my camera my camera is called the logi circle so yeah logi uh, i got the the logi create i didn't get the logitech create <laughs> is that a europe thing i didn't know it was a europe thing yeah i i think it's i i just think it's everywhere outside of the u.s i think they're still called logitech in the u.s and they used to be called logitech here but they rebranded a couple of years ago oh, to logi okay um and they're called logi everywhere else so, I mean, I think that this is a good product. I hope that one day I'm able to try an Apple, a Logi, Logi crayon somewhere. Um, they are obviously, of course, only available to schools. Um, it is a good product, but, you know, I want my Apple Pencil. Like, that's the product that I want, but I like that this one exists. And I cannot... Under, I cannot think why a school would pay $89 for an Apple Pencil. It almost feels like there was no point mm -hmm. in even giving that discount. Because you may as well just get the $49 Logitech one, which basically has everything, right? It seems a bit strange to me to even to even have done the $10 discount, because who's going to buy it? Yeah, I don't know. Even if, even if you apply the discount to 10 students, you're saving $100. 
which is you know it's it's not much it's not it's nothing right mm-hmm. it's like it's not it's not it's not enough when there is a 50 dollar product available <laughs> every nine students you get one free apple pencil <laughs> That's a big offer. Um, Stephen, what, what about the <laughs> like, Mac? Like a... There was no Mac stuff, really. There was no, no Mac stuff of note. Is this a concerning thing for you? Did mm-hmm. you expect it? I remember that computer. I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. I think what I said on Query is that I, I've always been a little confused by Apple's two-prong approach in education, that they have the MacBooks and they have the iPads. And look, the... The MacBook Air is never going to be the cost of an iPad, right? It's just not. It's just not the company that Apple is. Maybe they should be, but they're not, and it's not going to change. And with that in mind, I think this event helped clarify for me what Apple's education strategy may be: that it is iPad first, that they really believe the iPad is the future of computing, that you know a lot of young people or sort of like touch first now, you know, like we, you know, we sort of struggle to think about like typing an essay on a piece of glass, but like they're probably kids doing that at some point. If they're not now, they will be in the next couple of years, I think. Federico used to write all of his articles that way. Oh yeah. And he, and he was a kid then. So that's perfect. People do it is my point. People do it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, like it breaks my brain to think yeah. about it. And um, so the iPad meets kind of the future looking needs. They get all the multimedia stuff it's cheaper than a MacBook. So I think Apple's strategy here is the iPad is our answer for education, but we have the Mac as well if you have those needs. And so what a lot of school districts do, I actually was talking to uh, a reader uh, over email last night about this. He's an IT in a really large school district that does like elementary, middle, and high school. And so the kids don't necessarily stay like on an iPad forever. So like what they do is they have iPads in elementary and middle, but in high school they use a mix of Chromebooks and MacBooks because the kind of their needs shift a little bit and they feel like a laptop form factor makes more sense for those older students. So this isn't like the the iPad doesn't have to win Apple's education strategy and the Mac doesn't have to lose. Like it's a mix, but clearly it is iPad first now. And they have the Mac if you need it. And you're still going to see iMacs in classrooms and in labs and in libraries and that sort of stuff. But I think they're really going into education with the um, iPad being the focus. And I think that's totally fine. Like, I would like to see Apple have an entry-level Mac notebook that is more relevant than the MacBook Air. Like, by the way, you can still buy the 11.6-inch MacBook Air if you're a school. But, you know, it's it's still expensive for what it is, and so maybe there's room there for them to to make some changes. But I'm not particularly worried that this event, like, says something about the future of the Mac because I think, at least in education, Apple's going to be iPad first from here on out. Which I think is a, is a sensible approach, provided that Apple have a long-term vision that supports this, right? Like, there needs to be continued development of this platform into different form factors if they believe it's the platform of the future. that So therefore, it's the platform that they push to children. But yeah, I think that the event was like, okay, it's kind of what I expected. Um, I think that some of the messaging is weird, but it's as weird as, again, as I would have expected it to be. And there were some cool little bits and bobs that came out of it, like some of the Logitech stuff. But yeah, that, I guess that's kind of it, really. Like it was, It was what it was. There's a bunch of stuff we didn't see. There's a bunch of stuff that I expected to see and we didn't see. And I guess all of that stuff, like air power, will come later. 
I suppose. <laughs> I guess. At some point, maybe. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. You can communicate smarter with Text Expander. Create snippets of things that you type or copy and paste all the time, and then they will be ready for you whenever you need them. You might want to create snippets for website URLs, email addresses, maybe even today's date. I have a snippet set for the US format of the date, so I can get that wherever I need to. Or maybe even just answers to questions that you're asked all of the time, and you can just invoke very quickly with a, a hotkey on any of your devices, Mac, Windows, iPhone, or iPad. You just use a little abbreviation and you can summon any of those snippets right to your fingertips. You can even tailor each snippet with fill-in fields if you want to add some personalization to them as well. You could create an email reply system with TextExpander and have a snippet on hand for every type of email that you send. You can even power up your whole team by sharing snippets with groups of people. Um, I use TextExpander every single day. So like I mentioned, I type UUSD, and it gives me the US date formatted with like month, day, year, in case I ever get confused. Even like URLs, so like our RelayFM Live URL, I type LL. IVE and it just puts that in there in case I want to tweet it. I couldn't work on my devices without Text Expander. If you spend any amount of your day typing, you need Text Expander. It is the smartest way to improve the workflow of your communications on a daily basis. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast right now and you can get 20% off your first year. Just tell them that you heard about them on this show. That is textexpander.com slash podcast right now. You'll get 20% off your first year when you tell them that you came to them from Connected. Our thanks to Smile and Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. There was a rumor uh, which came during the event yesterday from um, KGI Securities from Ming Chi Kuo about uh, a potential future redesign of the Apple Watch, the Series 4, which I guess we'd expect this year. Um, in a nutshell, new design with a 15% larger screen, mm. longer battery life, and improved health sensors. Federico, what do you think about that? So, the, the larger screen, I'm really intrigued. Uh, it suggests that uh, Apple is getting rid of uh, rid of the bezels around the the screen of the device. So I could I I would love to see an edge to edge uh, Apple Watch <laughs> form factor. I wonder if that would impact the overall look of the device. Uh, because the the design of the Apple Watch is fine. It, it is looking a bit dated, uh, a bit old at this point. Maybe so. I'm all for a design refresh at this point. The health stuff, super unclear, super uh, non-descriptive at all. Improved yeah. health sensors. It could mean new sensors. It could mean just better reporting. Like, I, I think it's clear they don't know. Yeah, they have no but idea. Uh, let's, let's work with what we have. Uh, the, the current, the current uh, heart rate sensor. Um, so I've been, I started working out every day uh, a couple of months ago. And soon after I, I started this uh, routine, I noticed that the sensor on the Apple Watch, it was not capturing my heart rate um, quite accur- accurately or quickly enough. So the Apple Watch sensor, it pulls for data when you're doing a workout every three to five seconds, uh, usually. Um, but my problem was that because I I mostly do indoor cycling, and uh, for some reason I realize that I move my arms around when I do this. I don't stand perfectly still. Uh, maybe I'm I'm using the Apple Watch to control um, podcast playback, for example, or I just need to stretch my arms. But I move my arms around, and the Apple Watch didn't like my wrist movements, so it was giving me 
much, much lower heart rate uh, esti- estimates than it was actually true. So I bought um, an external uh, chest strap for heart rate measurements, and it works amazingly well because it's able it uses bluetooth uh, low energy and it can pull for data every second so that at the end of the wor- of a workout when you go into the activity app and you look at the graph for your heart rate you see a smooth line you don't see a bunch of spotty data points uh, you see a, an actual curve an actual line because the heart rate is being captured every single second of a workout and ideally an Apple Watch with improved health sensors and maybe improved battery, battery life would be able to capture not every four seconds, but every second also. So it removes the need for, well, part of the need for an external chest sensor. There's, there's still the problem of, depending on how you move your wrist or how you move your arms, the sensor will lose contact with your skin or it will be unable to measure your heart rate correctly. But being able to pull for heart rate data more frequently than three to four seconds, that would be a huge improvement over the Series 3. So I hope that when when uh, KGI says improved health sensors, uh, it could be this, or it could be uh, the rumor from last year uh, that was the skin, some name I don't remember, that like, oh, yeah. remember that? Uh, yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a very specific term I couldn't tell you what yeah. it was called. But yes, w- there there have been rumors of other types of sensors that they could use. Yeah. So, I don't know I don't know what this could mean. There's been also speculation that Apple is in, in investi- investigating um glucose monitoring using sensors on the watch. And I think we also see Do you guys remember Vic Gundotra? He used to work at Google. And now he has this health company, uh, the the Cardia Band. I think it's uh, the company's called Alive Cora, something like that, maybe. Anyway, they have this band which has been FDA certified in the United States, and this band can um, it can do uh, uh, what's what's it called? An electrocardiogram. Um, uh, yeah, e- ECG. Uh, it can do an ECG yeah. using the Apple Watch, and it can also measure the level of potassium. Uh, in your body somehow. I think there's a patent that's going around. I saw it on the news a few weeks ago. So there's definitely potential for more um, on-skin measurement of interesting data points. But of course, the big question here is, does Apple want to get into the field of FDA certification? Uh, Which is, uh, uh, last year, John and I on App Stories, we talked to uh, Dermot uh, Daly. Uh, he's, he's worked on a bunch of FDA-certified uh, apps for the iPhone. And the entire process of getting certified for medical equipment, essentially, is just, it sounds like a nightmare. you got to work with regulators months in advance, and you got to show them what you're working on. And this has been the big mm. counter-argument for Apple getting into more health stuff of, well, if they do this, they got to work with the FDA, and they got to get that, that that certification months in advance, which means everybody's gonna know what Apple is working on. So I don't know. Maybe there's a way for Apple to do this in in secret. Although I don't think it's possible under U.S. law. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I would settle for a for a better heart rate sensor, but KGI. Uh, I, I don't know what mm-hmm. is what they're thinking. So it's interesting. It makes sense to me. Like a lot of this stuff, like. 
a redesign with more screen like yeah i i believe that we are at that point like i i think that we are with the fourth edition i believe it is i get confused in numbering now of the watch i think that we are at the time for it to change visually um i i think that we have passed that point now and i would really really like to see that but you know whether it works out being exactly this i don't know like that's there's a lot of stuff going on here right like a bigger battery and more screen and better sensors it all makes sense logically and i hope that we see it but i mean i I don't think at this stage i would be willing to bet on it like a larger screen could could change things for developers though right it could be a problem if the I mean, the situation with Apple Watch apps is already quite, uh, I don't want to say comical, but it's problematic uh, in that, uh, you know, there's, there's been issues with WatchKit. We all, we all know that um, we've been talking about this and changing the display form factor. It would mean extra work for developers and it would mean going back to those folks and saying, well, uh, now you're going to be letterboxed on the Apple Watch also, unless you update your apps for the new uh, display resolution. Or maybe there is a way for Apple to say, no, no, uh, you're not going to get the letterboxed um, uh, problem because we figured out a way to uh, make your assets look bigger or something. I I strongly doubt that that would be possible. Uh, There would be consequences for developers that do not adapt to the new screen size. so it would be interesting to see Apple going back to developers who've been complaining about WatchKit and WatchOS, or even going back to developers who pulled their watch apps completely, such as, uh, I think, eBay and Slack most recently, going back to those companies and saying, well, do you want to try again? Maybe uh, we have WatchOS 5 and a new Apple Watch display size. You want to bring your app back and also update it for the new watch, please? I don't know. It's uh, I I don't know what the relationship is like. Yeah, I I would think anything that developers have to do to adopt a new watch yeah. would be slow. <laughs> you know, like I I would like a redesign. Like it is, it's what since twenty fifteen. Like I like something primarily. I'd like something slimmer, but you know, something a little bit neater and nicer looking would be an upside. But I don't know if Apple would be. I don't know if Apple has enough goodwill to developers on watchOS. You know, with the phone, they change sizes all the time and people are just used to it because it's the biggest product that that Apple makes for developers to, to build on. But mm-hmm. the watch is not that. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they would, how yeah, that would I mean, be greeted. I would just love to be able to buy a cellular watch in Italy, which is still not available. And I, I don't think the Series mm-hmm. 3 watch will ever be cellular here at this point. I'm pretty sure no. they originally said uh, coming a few months later, but, you know, months have passed. And Have they actually expanded the cellular connectivity no. anywhere outside of the original? No, no, I don't think so, no. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Um, some other weird... This is interesting. This is weird news. Interesting news. Foxconn, the company that makes Apple's phones, has acquired Belkin for $866 million. This acquisition includes Belkin and their subsidiary companies, Linksys, Wemo, and Finn. Never heard of Finn before, but it's like a smart plumbing thing which can detect leaks and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, man. Is that a thing? It's, it's actually... So, as a site, maybe this is because I own a house that has plumbing that's made of tears and sorrow but this yeah it's actually pretty cool like you put it 
I think it's your water meter and it can detect like flow coming in and check for leaks and all this stuff. Like it is cooler than it sounds being a smart plumbing device. What I didn't know in this is that Belkin owned Linksys. I, that totally, like I totally missed that. <laughs> didn't know that either. I knew Wemo, but I didn't know about Linksys. No, I just wanted to say in terms of acquisitions, we don't remember. Do you guys remember that Mozilla now owns Pocket? <laughs> Every time this comes up, it's just a joy for me again. Or what about the fact that uh, Pinterest owns Instapaper? Oh, you're Both right. of those services yeah. found yeah. found weird and wonderful homes, didn't they? Yeah. Um, Foxconn have said in a statement that the plan for them is to more aggressively expand the Belkin set of brands in the US. Uh, they consider them premium consumer products and smart home devices. These are the things that they're going to focus on. Okay. The thing that I find so fascinating about this, like basically everybody else, who better to make cases and charges than the company that actually makes the phones? <laughs> I kind of can't believe this is allowed to happen. Like, it is incredibly uncompetitive. Um, I guess this is kind of one of those things where, like, nothing can happen about it, really, because they're not, like, it's not the same market. Right, like Foxconn have just acquired a company that they, you know, uh, that oh, and they're also just lucky enough that Apple give them phones to make, and now they have the plans. I mean, I have no idea what Apple might say about this. Like, Apple might ask for ring fencing, for example, between the companies. Not that it will matter really, though. Like, you know, you can ask for whatever you want, but what, but there's just no. I mean, there's there's no way that Foxconn will not be able to make things faster than Belkin could make them before. Um, especially when I mean Belkin was already seemed to be a blessed partner like Logitech, you know, in in some ways. Uh, like mm-hmm. they made some of the weird lightning adapters when the headphone thing went away. So, but it is it is like super. Like I feel sorry for everybody else. You know, like I feel sorry for like the Mophies of the world and people like that because it's just like, well, Belkin's gonna just destroy you now because they're just gonna <laughs> be ready immediately. <laughs> Plus, they have Foxconn behind them, right? Which is like the biggest <laughs> manufacturer technology technology manufacturing house in the world. Foxconn may have been already building stuff for Belkin. Like I don't know how close the two companies Good were. Point. Foxconn built stuff for Everyone. lots of Everyone. companies because it's you know the way it's described is like a city, right? Like it's not even like a factory. They're gonna edit. They're gonna edit this podcast. <laughs> honestly, no. Now they're gonna make both uh, accessories for Mophie and and an anchor and and also their own stuff. They're gonna be like, you know, when you when you hear those stories at the restaurants, they're gonna be spitting in the in the in the plate of Mophie <laughs> uh, secretly. I nearly, I just nearly destroyed my microphone with uh, with water, because uh, I had no idea where you were going with that, and I, we got very close to spit take town. But they're just going to put like bad battery juice into the muffy stuff, like yeah. It's a shame these things keep exploding. Uh, there, there is an angle to this that is it's a little weird to talk about, but I think it's it's worth talking about in in the U.S. Uh, Huawei right now is like basically being banned. Like they can still sell in the U.S. The FTC has not revoked their license to sell cell phones. This is such a weird story. All major, all major carriers have dropped their agreements with Huawei. Best Buy, like if you're not in Best Buy, you're in trouble. Best Buy has dropped Huawei their their notebooks, their tablets, their laptops, and now the. Um, like the federal government, like the the U.S. Congress is working on a bill to say that Huawei devices cannot be used by government employees for work. So, like, 
if you work for, I don't know, the energy department back when we had one of those, uh, you get a BlackBerry and then maybe you got a phone, an iPhone, you know, years later. And now they're saying, well, you can't, you can't have a, a Huawei phone. It's believed that Huawei and the Chinese government have some sort of like relationship the U.S. government doesn't approve of. I don't really know a lot of the details. I don't want to uh, just like talk off the hip about that. But there, you know, Linksys making like network equipment and stuff. They Foxconn may run into an issue where like the U.S. government or parts of the U.S. population like all of a sudden don't trust them because they're being operated by a Chinese company. And unfortunately, that's just like a very real thing right now. And uh, I saw I'd seen some comments about that on Twitter that, you know, are they going to run into like regulatory issues or like public trust issues the way Huawei has? Um, I don't know. I think Foxconn's in, in a better shape than Huawei in that regard. And honestly, I think most people don't know who Foxconn is. And like, because Foxconn, my understanding is that Linksys and Belkin and we they're going to remain their own brands, at least for now. And so it's not like you're going to walk into a Best Buy and buy a Foxconn branded charger, right? Um, in reality, all these devices may be being built by Foxconn behind the scenes, but they're going to remain like separate. So I don't know if it's going to be a problem or not, but it's something that has sort of been part of the conversation. That Have I, I ever worth. told you guys that when I was a kid, um, so I, uh, when I was like really young, like um, six or seven or up until eight, until I think we started, we started studying English in elementary school in the third or fourth grade, maybe. I thought, so I, I didn't know English at all. And I thought that Made in China was a brand. And so I would, <laughs> because I, I used to read Made in China on labels and stuff. <laughs> 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 and, I, and I used to say things my favorite like, <laughs> clothing brand is made in China <laughs> yes <laughs> stuff like that I was like oh this is made in China oh. <laughs> it's, that's like the joke from Friends right I think it's Friends like why do so many bad things happen at the place called Gunpoint <laughs> Right, like a man was killed mm. while being held at gunpoint. There's a bank robbery at gunpoint. It's just that kind of idea. Made in China, everybody's favorite clothing brand. That's wonderful, man. I absolutely love that. That's really funny. Oh, dear. All right, today's show is also brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment that you can find around. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you. Whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new, there are always new books to try. Maybe something like The Power of Habit or The Sleep Revolution. There's always stuff out there to help you become better. And I have a book recommendation that I'm going to get to you in a minute that I think is making me a better person. Whatever you want to achieve, whatever you want to learn, Audible has you covered with its unmatched selection of audiobooks and spoken word products. Audible helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices and pick up exactly where you left off, whether you're on the phone, in your car, on a tablet, or at home on the Amazon Echo. That is friggin' awesome, by the way, that you could just pick up the audiobook on the Echo. I love that. You can get through tons of books like with, like this without having to do anything specific. You should be getting on with your daily life and you listen to a book. When you sign up to Audible, you'll get a credit every month that you can use to buy any audiobook in their store, regardless of price, and any unused credits will roll over to the next month. If for any reason you don't like your audiobook, you can exchange it for a new one with no questions asked. And once you bought them, the books are yours to keep. You can go back and listen to your library, even if you cancel your membership. Um, I wanted to recommend a book that I've been reading. It is called Trick 
Africa's. Um, it is. Uh, I've just read it. Actually, I read it. We spoke about it on Cortex. It is. Um, it is a book which is mostly focused on business, but has some real great ideas for how you can kind of become better at dealing with things in your life. So the full title was "Triggers Creating Behavior That Lasts," and it's about kind of helping you find ways to react and deal with things in your life differently that you want to change. I've read a lot of these types of books, and Triggers is one of the best ones that I've read in quite some time. You can listen to it or any book right now just by going to audible.com slash connected. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash connected. Or you can just text the word connected to 500-500 to get started. That's a new one. Go to audible.com slash connected or text the word connected to 500-500. We'd like to thank Audible for their support of this show. Look at that. You can send text messages now. Wonderful. So I believe we're going to get into a bit of story time. Uh, I think we've got a story time gripes section here. Uh, Federico, do you want to go first to talk about some issues you've been having with the HomePod? Sure. Um, so since I got the HomePod and then the second one, uh, I couldn't use the personal request feature at all. And initially I thought that it was just a problem with um, third-party uh, Siri kit um, apps that I wasn't able to uh, to use them because I, I was uh, on the iOS 11.3 beta and that it was just a beta problem. But then last week I got really annoyed um, because I not even the basic stuff like setting reminders, like the Apple native reminders or reading my messages, none of that stuff worked. And so I spent a couple of days uh, doing research and trying to understand how the personal requests um feature worked and i saw on reddit and on the apple discussions uh forum board i saw other folks having the same problem of i turn on personal requests but it doesn't it doesn't work and my problem was slightly different in that the iphone kept asking me for authentication um as soon as i spoke a request that involved reminders or messages I got a, a notification on my phone saying uh, Siri would like to help with reminders. And then when I tapped the notification, it would open the Siri UI on my iPhone and on my iPad, and it would just give me an error, something like, I'm sorry, I cannot help with that. And so that was useless. And initially I thought, well, this is just a, an iOS 11.3 beta problem. I should downgrade one of my two iPads to the stable version of iOS 11. So I went back to iOS 11.2.6. I set it up from scratch again. And of course, in the meantime, I should say I had already tried to reboot, reset the HomePods twice. Um, I didn't log out of my iCloud account because that was just annoying. But then when I did the downgrade on my small iPad Pro, of course, I started from scratch. No backup, no, you know, uh, new iCloud login. Everything was new. I tried again. Still didn't work. I got an iCloud. Uh, I got a Siri notification again as soon as I tried to ask a reminders uh, question. I tapped the notification, and this time the reminder was being created. So that was progress, but of course, still no HomePod uh, only <laughs> functionality. And eventually, I, I just I gave up, and then I came back the other day, and I realized, you know, I first set up. HomeKit when it launched with iOS 8, iOS 9, anyway, years ago. And I 
and I realized, you know, maybe something is wrong with my HomeKit configuration. Because not only was the HomePod not working with personal requests, everything else was fine, by the way. Uh, controlling my own HomeKit devices, playing music, just the personal request stuff was not working. And the personal request is tied to a device and it's tied to my Apple ID. Uh, because Apple says so. you so. were thinking that one of the many betas that you've been on over the years may have kind of like screwed I something up somewhere. I thought something is wrong with my HomeKit setup and my and mm-hmm. the authentication that connects HomeKit with my Apple ID, because HomeKit remote access was not working for Sylvia, and she's a guest of my HomeKit configuration with family sharing. So there was a common thread between personal requests not working, my HomeKit setup, and remote access for a guest that is also not working. And the the thing in the middle was my Apple ID and my HomeKit setup. So it was either one of the two things. Either I delete my Apple ID, so I delete my iCloud account and I make a new one, which of course was not an option, or I delete my uh, home configuration from the home app and I create a new home from scratch, which means I re-add all of my devices, I recreate all of my automations, I recreate all of my scenes, basically everything from scratch again, which I did. And uh, of course, that was the problem. Uh, That fixed all of my issues. Uh, Somehow, sometime in the past, I don't know when along the way of the many, many betas that I installed, something went wrong. I, my Apple ID was not given, I guess, the proper authorization to HomeKit to perform personal requests on the HomePod or to give Sylvia proper remote access. Um, and now everything is working again. But I want to call out two, uh, two things that I noticed. Uh, of course, recreating everything from scratch is bad. It's it sucks. It's terrible, and I I wish that the world uh, maybe this is the 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 uh, the, the common uh, theme of this mini topic. There there have to be better troubleshooting solutions that do not involve delete everything and start from scratch again. But also, I was able to appreciate the way that Homebridge, the custom HomeKit plugin I run on a Raspberry Pi, the way that it works, because. All the accessories that were previously set up with Homebridge, I didn't need to add those manually one by one. Uh, all I needed to do was to scan the fake QR code that Homebridge gives you, and all the accessories were imported. Again, I just needed to assign them to a room. I didn't need to scan 20 custom HomeKit codes. I just needed to scan one of them because HomeBridge is the bridge, is the single bridge that contains all of the accessories. So that was really convenient. I just want to say that like, we're going to talk about this like because I know, Stephen, you have some stuff too. But And I agree that like, you know, better troubleshooting tools, whatever they might be, would be good. But it is worth appreciating yours very specific like, set of circumstances that you believe led you to this route, which is installing iOS betas over many years when they were just developer betas, <laughs> yeah, right? I know, I know. Like, you know, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, that, like, it would be really great if someone could just tell you that was what you had to yeah. do rather than you just hoping and assuming and guessing you might need to. But this probably, if that was the reason, like if your if your hypothesis was correct, like 
I don't think it's fair to us to to say that they have to like fix that because well that you do that at your own risk. Yeah, I know. Um, that and that was probably the cause, honestly. Like all the betas, all the resets, and uh, the you know all the changes that are gone through. First developer beta, public beta, stable version, developer beta again. That messes things it's up. It's funny that it just happened now, though, yeah, right? Uh, like, what changed? I don't know. I don't know. And I, I suppose it's the way the personal requests work. So they requ- the feature needs to see one device on your local network, but the Apple ID needs to be the same. Uh, the same Apple ID on the, on, the, on the connected device, so my iPhone, and the Apple ID that the HomePod was set up with originally. So uh, I just assumed that the problem was there, and between deleting my iCloud account and deleting the HomeKit configuration, I just I just went with the HomeKit option, uh, which is annoying. You mentioned but- like dele- deleting your account. How far would you have to go before you would do? Oh that? no, no, no way! I would have I would have kept not using personal requests. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't I mean can you think of anything it's like this is a difficult question but like is there anything that like you need so bad yeah, yeah, like that's mm, tied to your Apple ID that if it didn't work you would delete it all and go over it I again? have an example it's not something that is okay. not working but I don't know if you've seen what our friend Shahid has been going through with his Apple ID yes uh, all mm-hmm. the security issues that has, have been going on with his Apple ID someone is trying to break into his iCloud account for years now and yeah. it keeps so, yeah, and it's almost every couple of days Shahid's iCloud account yeah. gets locked uh, it gets locked and, and he's been contacting Apple support it showed us messages and they are unable to fix this problem for him and in that case I mean Shahid is very patient he's, he's been keeping up with these problems I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to do the same I would just delete my Apple ID and create a new one and be done with with it that is a very good example I wouldn't be able to deal with what Shahid is dealing with either but he has the patience of a saint so he can deal with it uh, but I know that I wouldn't be able to so yes I would have nuked it out of orbit yes. a long time before <laughs> Stephen you've been having some Apple Notes problems yeah so I I store a lot of stuff in Apple Notes I've got a couple hundred notes in there easily. And a couple weeks ago, went to add a PDF to a note, drug it in there, not a big PDF, like three or four megs. And I come back later, I noticed the little, on the Mac, the little uh, spinner in notes, the little activity indicator is still spinning like hours later. It's like, oh, that's weird. So I pick up my iPad and realize that uh, not only is that new note not there, but... I have a lot of things that are have stopped syncing, that yeah. the Mac has stopped sending changes to iOS devices. iOS devices could still send changes to the Mac. It wasn't completely broken, but it was partially Do you broken. remember this happened to me when uh, 11 came out? This happened to me. So I, uh, you know, I kind of went through and made a, made a sort of a list of, okay, these are the notes I, I know that, you know, I'm going to lose these changes. I went to system preferences and to iCloud. I unchecked the note sync restarted the computer, rechecked the note sync, same problem. It pulled down old Uh data. It would not be in sync with my iPhone and iPad. And what ultimately fixed it was completely signing out of my iCloud account. And the problem with that is that the iCloud credentials are tied to all sorts of stuff, right? Like not only like my address book and my calendar, but like a bunch of sync data and my entire photos library 
and bookmarks and some files in iCloud Drive and on and on and on. Signed out, rebooted, signed back in. Notes is syncing now, but now I have all this other stuff that's like missing or like halfway broken because iCloud got disconnected from it. My, you know, photos library, which has, oh gosh, I don't even know, like uh, something like um, 40,000 images in it. Just had to like, re- not like re-download, but like, re- like crawl through the entire library to make sure that the Mac and iCloud were like in sync. And it just is maddening. Like that little note toggle should fix this problem. And to back up even further, Apple, you should have alerted me when something fell out of sync. Like I, it should not be on me to notice, oh, this is still spinning for some reason. Oh no, I have two dozen notes that are, have at some point over the last couple of days fallen out of sync. Like that should not be on the customer to see that, you know, back in the day with like iDisk sync, you can make fun of it, but Apple would pop up an alert on the Mac and say, Hey, we have a conflict. What do you want us to do? Do you want to keep the local copy? Do you want to keep the server copy? Do you want to keep both? Now I'm not suggesting they do that in notes, but there should be some sort of notice that, Hey, your stuff has stopped syncing for some reason. Something has gone wrong. Uh, and there's just no mechanism for that. It's just up to me that I noticed it and, it wasn't a huge deal. Like the couple things that I lost, like I, I knew what I had changed. It wasn't a big deal, but what would have happened if I had added a PDF for like a flight or a hotel reservation? And then I travel with just my phone and my iPad. And then I realize I don't have that information. Like it really makes me think about trusting notes. It's like, this should be solid and notes is solid until it fails. And then it fails in a way that's like infuriating. So I agree with Federico. Like, there needs to be some, I don't know what it is. Like I'm not smart enough to figure this out, but I don't work at Apple on the iCloud team, so I don't have to figure it out. But there should be some sort of mechanism that's like a bulletproof way to solve this stuff. Like in the Mac, you would think unchecking the notes box, that would fix it. Like I was like, oh, I'll just uncheck it and recheck it and I'll be golden. Like not true. I should not have to log out of an account. I should not have to recreate an account to to solve these issues. But it seems like again and again, when I talk to people with iCloud problems, iCloud is way better than it's ever been. Like I really like a lot about iCloud, but when it does act up, the the way that you solve it very often is just sign out of your account and sign back in. And it's easy to say, it's easy to give somebody that advice, an email or a tweet or on a podcast. But in reality, you could be looking at a, quite a bit of work to do that. You'll and, lose your afternoon. You're going to lose your afternoon. And then like my very expensive iMac Pro on very fast, like on a very fast internet connection, took four days to like re, like resync up my photo library and in that time like my photos are falling further out of sync and then it all caught back up that's a terrible experience so what was it re-indexing or was it like pulling all the photos down again it was re-indexing so i have it downloaded all local yep. files you know to the local drive it was re-indexing but in that time like it wouldn't see any new oh, changes man. until it re-indexed it's like, what, what are you doing? It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, iCloud is getting better. Like, it is getting a lot better. Uh, like, a lot of the services that I that I use, the iCloud services that I use, are vastly superior than what they used to be. To you know, and the proof in that is that I actually use them. Where before I wouldn't use them, I would use I would use something else. Yeah. 
but there is there is this problem in like so many things being tied to iCloud that when something breaks, if that is the the way that you have to fix things, which is to sign in, sign out, it can just it's like a house of cards that like topples down when you do that sign out thing, because there are like a million things that that need to be changed and, and need to be rechecked and all that kind of stuff. Like when I had this problem with my notes. I was sitting down for hours, like, working out, like, what notes do I have? Where is the source of truth, right? Like, because I didn't want to lose any data because I didn't know how much data I'd lost. So I went to iCloud.com, and it wasn't all there, but it was all on my Mm -hmm. iPhone. So it's like, well, what do I do? And, like, it was just a case of, like, checking and unchecking on many different devices until, like, I did enough of this that it ended up going to the right place. But... There, there just doesn't really seem to be a way to deal with it, which is a, which is a frustration. Yeah, and it's strange because on the Mac you can still, if you if you want to, and if you know where to look, you can still do things like manually delete caches, for example, which you cannot do on iOS. Or you can you yeah. can delete all the application support files and all that junk. You cannot do the same on iOS. So the Mac still gives you the ability to debug manually things or to get rid of you know these files that can cause problems in the long term. But you can you, you don't have the same kind of manual nerdy and advanced controls for iCloud which is frustrating so yeah there should be more manual stuff for people that know what they're doing without having to go to the genius bar or logging out of their accounts and back in again yeah I mean I will forever and a day get my number one uh, example of this is the Apple Watch that like if something gets screwed up the only thing you can do is go to a genius yeah like they will not let you plug it into a device and, uh, and yeah. reset it, which is wild. It's even more basic like that. Like I have this problem routinely where my watch will stop. Send- it's doing it right now, actually. If I reply to somebody via iMessage, it sends as an SMS huh. for my watch. And if I'm on so the other day, I, I rode my bike to run some errands. I left my phone at home and took my se- my you know cellular Apple Watch with me. And I dictated a text to somebody and it sent it as an SMS, which is like, it's not a big deal, but it's like, I don't know how to fix it. Like I, I can sign in and out of iMessage. I've done that. I've rebooted everything. Yes. I've like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And that's what's, that's what's so frustrating about Apple software and services. Like, and again, like I don't, I want to balance this with like iCloud and this stuff is better than it's been in a long time. Like iCloud is really solid for most things, but when things do go wrong, cause things do go wrong. It's like this black box. Like, there's no way, like, on iOS on my phone to be like, "Hey, toggle iMessage on and off just on the watch." Or like, it. I just. It, it's just one of those things. Like, I, I guess it'll get fixed at some point, or I'll reboot my watch one day, or the battery will die, or something, and it'll work again. And then one day it won't. Like, I'm just I'm left to the whims of what it wants to do. Well, I guess the only thing that we can do now is to uncheck and recheck this podcast, and then we can come back happy next week, right? That's how this works. <laughs> Can we log out of a podcast? Is that- I think, well, let's try. <laughs> Go on, Stephen, log us out. We're going to go up to the Apple menu and select log out. But first, I want to thank our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Smile, and Audible. I want to tell you how to get in touch. If you want to find uh, an email address for us, or more importantly, the links to all the stuff we've talked about, you can do so on the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 186. 
That number keeps getting bigger and bigger really every week. I guess that's how that works. It goes up by one every week, which is so weird. We can make this a daily show. Let's not do that. If you want to find Federico and talk to him about HomeKit on Twitter, you can do that at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And, of course, he is the editor-in-chief of the the glorious MacStories.net. If you want to talk to Mike about how the Apple Pencil is useful to you or not useful to you, you can do that on Twitter at I-M-Y-K-E. And uh, if you want to tell me how awesome I am at doing this outro, you can do so. I'm on Twitter as I-S-M-H, and I write 512pixels.net. If you like Nerdy Podcast, we have lots of options. Go to relay.fm slash shows. I promise you, you will find something else to love besides Connected. There's lots of good stuff there. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. So until next time, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Adios.